0: Within the last month, international protests have ignited in response to the recent killings of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd. We will talk about the driving force behind all of these tragedies by discussing the following two vocabulary words racism and racial profiling. Stay tuned. Welcome to Just Schooling It. I'm your host, Dia Adams. This podcast will be used to school educators, parents, students, and the community on different issues, trends, and resources. In this four-part series, I pledge to discuss the systemic oppression of blacks focusing on racism, police brutality, and our educational system, along with discussing actions that can be taken to change the world and how blacks are viewed and treated. But first, here is an announcement. Are you looking for a good barbecue sauce, rub, old school pickle products, jams, preserves, and much, much more? Try Sweet Spirit Foods at www.sweetspiritoklahoma.net. That's www.sweetspiritoklahoma.net and let the spirit catch you. Today, I have as my guest a panel of influential black men in the community to help me discuss this racial pandemic. They are Dr. Eric Gill, pastor of operations at the Met Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Yukon police officer, Richard Ellis, and MediaMinistry.com businessman, Marcus Carruthers. Welcome. Thank you,
1: thank you for having me. Thank you,
2: thank you very much.
0: We are seeing now, uh, during this pandemic, uh, just a, an explosion. I mean, racism has always been there, but there is an explosion of protesting for uh, the killings of our black people, the, the racial injustices of our black people, so, I felt the need to have a discussion today. Uh, some of the our our white counterparts often say they they don 't really know what racism is or when they 're being racist so first we're just we 're just going to kind of break it down. Dr. Gill, can you explain to us the different types of racism
1: uh, yes, um, there are um, Various forms of racism, racism being um, this ideology that one demographic is um, somehow better than than another because of their skin, creed um, or even religion based off of even Ibram X. Kendi's work, um, how to be an anti-racist. But there are various forms of racism. Some are overt and some are covert. Uh, the overt forms of racism are the forms of racism that many of us um, are traditionally taught about in school, where you talk about the Ku Klux Klan um, saying the N word. Uh, it is actually more um, harmful to um, the minority populations. Is the microaggressions are these covert forms of racism, rather it be. Uh, Someone clutching their purse whenever they're walking by you on the uh, sidewalk, someone not making eye contact with you in an elevator. Uh, Other forms of microaggressions uh, can be uh, stated even uh, from blacks uh, in an uh, attempt to explain why they live in a particular demographic Uh, I live in the suburbs because it's less crime in the suburbs. That is a microaggression or coded language that says that it is safer here rather than it is somewhere else. And it all plays into this notion uh, that one group of people is less than another simply because of the color of their skin.
0: Mr. Uh, Carruthers. What was your first racial experience yes, ma'am. and how did it shape your views or perceptions of race?
2: Growing up in Oklahoma, I consider myself, uh, you know, it's been a real blessing to just grow up in Oklahoma, but probably one of my very first experiences uh, with racism was uh, honestly, when I was playing baseball as it's a teacher, it's a <laughs> to be honest, if you want to go back that far. Um, and, and one of the things that uh, was, was, one of the examples of that was we were in the process of trying out for, uh, a all-star AAU, uh, baseball team. And literally the coach literally said, and I never forget this. He pretty much said, uh, which, whichever one you are the lightest, that's the one that I'm hmm. taking with me on the road. So that was, that was kind of my first experience, which it was an eye opener for me. Um, I, I relate to everybody. You have friends from all people groups, Uh, And that was probably my very first experience. I've never forgotten it. But what that reminds me of is that, you know, I'm always sensitive to, you know, realize that everybody has a gift and talent and abilities. Um, And, uh, but that was probably my very first experience with, with racism, the way I handled it at that particular time, to be honest, Mm -hmm. it was very hurtful. uh, But one of the things I'll never forget, my father and mom once told me, they just really instilled in me that everybody has gifts and talents and, a great team is a team that can bring in all the diversity and the gifts and talents of each in individual on the team. And when you can bring those things together and then they meld well together, uh, you can, you can have great success.
0: What about you, uh, officer Ellis?
3: Uh, well, to be honest with you, I don't even know that I can remember my first experience, uh, with racism. I think the first thing that comes to mind is, um, it's something as simple as being followed around in a store. I can remember being kind of like a young teen. Um, and I don't know, I, I was probably in a group of maybe two or three, four people at the most, um, in like a department store and being followed around and not really understanding initially what was happening. Cause I wasn't being customer serviced. It was legitimately, I was being surveilled in the store. Um, my, my party, um, and and so through through kind of hindsight and and maturity you realize like what exactly was happening in that moment so in the immediacy of the moment i don't know that it resonated with me all that well um it wasn't until some time after and reflecting back and thinking like wow that's really what was happening in that moment like for whatever reason um and i don't know what the life experience or of of the individuals that were employed there, but like for whatever reason, you know, they had a bias that would cause them to think that purely based on the color of my skin, I'm up to no good. Um, and so that that's probably like the first real um, vivid instance that I can I can remember.
1: Doctor Gill, my my first experience uh, with racism, like Rashard said, it probably was something that I look back on in hindsight and didn't realize what was going on in the moment. I don't remember ever being followed in the store. Um, a friend of mine asked on Twitter, do you remember uh, the first time someone called you the N word? And I can't even recollect the first time someone called me uh, the N word. Uh, but I do remember um, looking back um uh, forms of the covert um microaggressive racism. Um when I was in high school at Choctaw High School, uh my uh history professor, instead of letting me uh sit in class, I guess, and be studious, uh <laughs> uh told me uh that he had never seen anyone do uh wall sits for five minutes. Uh, And so I sat on the wall and did wall sits for five minutes and I never had to go back to that class again. I got to be in that class. And so while I was in high school, I celebrated that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I look back on it, uh, it pointed to what he thought about my intellectual capability and prowess, where he put more into my body than into my brain. Wow. Um, um And likewise with my English teacher. When I was at Choctaw High School, uh, she uh, allowed me to, it was a class right after lunch. And, you know, when them carbs hit and the itis hit, you know, she would let me sit in the back of the corner of class and go to sleep. Hmm. Uh, and all I had to do was turn in one project at the end of the year and I got it. Uh, but I ended up having to take remedial classes in college. Um, and even to this day, with a doctorate, struggle with the English language. I keep this a uh, literary book with correct grammar and writing um, skills next to me anytime I'm writing to re-correct myself because I didn't learn any of those things when I was in my secondary education. Uh, and it, again, is a form of microaggressive, uh, aggressive racism. Um, that's covert. That I don't think you're smart enough to do this. And so I will let you uh, be uh, mediocre.
0: And that's definitely hurtful t- for me to hear as an educator, but I, I won't lie and say, I don't see that happening or haven't seen it happen in a classroom. We'll continue our conversation on racism after this. Teachers, are you looking for classroom tips and engagement ideas? Check out my Out of the Box Education Facebook page. That's Out of the Box Education. Welcome back to Just Schooling It. Webster Dictionary defines racial profiling as the use of race or ethnicity as a grounds for suspecting someone of having committed an offense. We continue to see racial profiling throughout America. From Barbecue Becky to Central Park Amy, who falsely accused Christian Cooper of threatening her life, and it was no different for my guest, Mr. Travis Miller Sr., who was merely trying to do his job and was held captive in a gated community in Edmond, Oklahoma, by a white man named David Stewart, who was the Homeowners Association president. Welcome, Mr. Miller.
4: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Mr. Miller, United States Representative John Lewis said, Martin Luther King Jr. taught me how to say no to segregation and I can hear him saying now when you straighten up your back no man can ride you. He said stand up straight and say no to racial discrimination and that's exactly what you did. Mr. Miller can you take us back to that day?
4: Um, It was the final stop of the day and um, we had just completed the final stop and in that gated community there was only one way in and one way out uh, the roadways were a little bit tight um, so we had to travel further into the gated community in order to try to find a safe place for us to make the U-turn and um, as we were heading deeper into the gated community uh, Mr. Stewart was in his um, his car and he was coming directly towards us so I figured he was trying to get by. So I moved over to my right a little bit and I came to a complete stop in which he stopped right next to the side of my door and flagged me down and um, proceeded to just start asking questions. What are you doing here? How's you getting here? Where are you going? Who gave you the gate code? So I was a little shocked at first um, by his questioning. So I just told him it was none of his business and I pulled off. Because I spotted a cold attack area where I can just make a a Uh, complete U-turn without having to um, back up. And um, Mm -hmm. as I made my U-turn, Mr. Stewart made a three-point turn in the middle of the street and flew down the roadway in order to um, get to where you see he's at in the video to block me in so that I couldn't necessarily um, get around him without tearing up somebody's property. And um, that's when I started the video, started recording.
0: So he proceeds, he goes on, and you tell him it's none of his business, and then does he call the police?
4: Um. Well, what made me restart recording on Facebook Live was the fact that he stated out loud that he's calling the police. Um. I'm not from Oklahoma. Me and my family, we just got here in October. So I... um. I didn't know there's a lot. I did not know about the Oklahoma city police department. Um, so when he said they was calling the police, I was like, you know, what, let me just go ahead and record this on Facebook live because I didn't, I don't know him. I don't know what kind of influence he has. I don't know if he was calling a buddy of his who works for the Oklahoma city police department to come in and rectify the situation because he was adamant that I was in the wrong, that I wasn't supposed to be there. And, um, and um, and um, so I just wanted to make sure that when I recorded, because I was figuring that he was going to call my job and say that I did something that I didn't do or said something I didn't say. So I just wanted right. to have video evidence, you know, to, just to cover myself, that we didn't, right. uh, when I say we, me and my coworker, we didn't do or say anything that he said we were doing. But um, it just, it just continued to escalate. And so I was just thankful that I was on Facebook or Facebook Live um recording um because i wanted to have a video out there just in case that like i said it i didn't know who he was calling so if it was a buddy of his and they did take my phone and decide they was going to arrest me for whatever reason decide that they was going to try and delete the video that it was going to be out there already so that i would be able to get back to it at a later date
0: did you at any point think that he was going to take your life or that was a possibility
4: um, there was a fear there. Um, uh, the, the fear was for two reasons. Um, one, you know, Oklahoma is an open carry state, so um, you can tell from the video, or I'm pretty sure he can tell that I'm not a small individual, or I'm not an average size individual. I'm a, quite a big man. Um, but he never operated or. You know, maneuver in a way that he was afraid of who I was, or afraid of what he saw. So that just gave me a think. Like, all right, either he's he knows somebody, or he has something with him that would give him that extra sense of courage um, to to really just block the truck and then stay there for as long as he did. Um, and you know, I was afraid that. If I got out the truck, um, things would escalate um, in one of two ways. If I got out the truck and he had a gun, then he can claim that he was in fear of his life and shoot me. Mm-hmm. Um, then also there's the fear that if I got out the truck and he didn't have a gun, then and things escalated. Then if I put hands on him, I get arrested for you know assault or something like that. Right. Um, so the entire time I had to think my way through that and, you know, constantly just tell myself to stay calm, stay in the truck, you know, I just kept repeating that to myself. And, um, even when I was talking to my supervisor, cause I called my supervisor to make him aware of what was going on. I'm telling him about telling myself that I got to stay calm, stay in the truck. And then when I figured that the cops would be there any moment now, I was once I have to get off the phone because I need to calm down before the police get here because I don't mm. want the perception to be that there's an angry big black man
0: i was I was watching the video
4: what made him move? well, he was trying to find out from me who I was delivering to, and um I didn't forward that information to him um but he eventually he knew who I had delivered to, or he found out who I was delivering to. And the customer that I delivered to um, actually had to drive from his home to where we were at, which was about, about a quarter mile up the roadway around the corner. So he couldn't see us directly. So somebody had to get in touch with him. And um, he came around, and they had a him, uh, Mr. Stewart, and the other gentleman had a conversation at the top of the roadway away from us, away from Earshock. And um that's when Mr. Stewart, I guess, got the answers that he wanted or needed that basically where he decided that okay, I'm gonna move now so
0: you can leave. I think the most touching, I mean, I s like as I said, stated, I I watched the video and I had my angry moment, my e- emotional moment and then I saw you hesitate to move, even though he had moved. Why did you have that hesitation? I didn't
4: trust him. Um, I didn't trust because I wasn't certain if he had called the police or not. Um, I wasn't certain if they were on their way to, to us, and if you know, if he did call and they were on their way, and all of a sudden he moves and i go to leave and then i'm surrounded or met at the gate and surrounded by a bunch of cops with guns drawn um because like i said i didn't i don't know him i don't know oklahoma city that well or oklahoma city police department that well so i just wasn't comfortable i wanted to make sure that before i left that everything was okay and in the clear so that's why i um i called um, at first, I called Edmond Police Department, but they told me that the section that I was in was actually North, um, North Oklahoma City. So they mm-hmm. transferred me over to the Oklahoma City Police Department, to which uh, the dispatcher I spoke to said that she didn't see anything on record where police was being dispatched to our area and that I should be okay to leave. Um, it wasn't until about a week later where I saw a um, press release. Where um saw so that um that he did in fact call Oklahoma City Police Department and stated that we were trespassing
0: hmm okay oh it's just oh. so so he's gone you've got the clear you've gotten the clear to go and then you're just overwhelmed I could see you know, Tears swelling. Are you trying to hold back tears, or what were your thoughts then? Um, I
4: emotionally, I was at a at the breaking point. I guess you can say. Mm
2: -hmm. Um,
4: because I had the incident with Mister Stewart happened on May 11th. Um, five days prior on May 6th. Um, I had lost my grandmother in uh New Jersey, where I'm originally from um to natural causes
3: sorry to hear that and um
4: thank you and um the situation was made worse because mm-hmm. on may eighth um I lost my aunt my grandmother's Ooh. youngest uh youngest daughter mm. so and you um, know she Died, uh, I guess, from complications of the heart. So you basically you can say she died of a broken heart because she couldn't live without her mother.
0: Right. Right.
4: And uh, so that Monday, you know, then uh, then Sunday, I'm sorry, Sunday was uh, Mother's Day, and my wife is the most supportive person in my life, one of the most supportive person people in my life, and mm-hmm. um, you know. Me and my children, I made sure that we got up and we celebrated her for Mother's Day because I just didn't want to rob her because I was in my emotions dealing with what I was dealing with. Even though she was sympathetic and empathetic towards me, and told me not to do anything, to just go ahead and relax, I still wanted to show her our appreciation. So, Mm -hmm. uh, come Monday, you know, she asked me on Sunday night. She asked me, "Are you going to go to work?" And I said, "Yeah." Because if I if I stay home, I'm not going to do anything but cry lose a day's pay and lose hours and that don't make sense because of everything that's going on as far as how bad the coronavirus is in New Jersey there wasn't any certainty as far as how soon or how far off the um the funeral would be so I was waiting to get that information on Monday so I was like I better I'm better off going to work and you know keeping my mind busy so I won't be just sitting around crying all day. So, um, right. yeah, having, deal, having to deal with those emotions mm-hmm. and then um, having, dealing with grief and then having anger, um, to deal with anger at the same time, I just was an emotional ball. So I knew that I needed to do my best to make sure I remained in control of my emotions. Because I didn't want my emotions to use be the best of me and cause me to make a bad decision.
0: Uh, so, you know, I was going to ask you, how has this experience affected you? I mean, you've just had one hit, one blow after another. So you've already told us how it's affected you, but you've been able to work through some things. I, I understand that your name was placed on the local uh, black Ma- black lives matter chapters demand list calling for the arrest and the prosecution of Mr. Stewart. Is that enough for you?
4: When you say enough, what do you mean?
0: Um you some sense of justice or some sense of because he didn't say I'm sorry. I mean, I don't will that satisfy you enough for what he put you through?
4: Um honestly, I don't know. I don't I don't have a clear-cut um answer for that. Mm-hmm. Um probably it won't know until it's actually done and completed um as far as you know, uh, the process of the law. Mm -hmm. Um, I do know that as of uh, yesterday, June 3rd, um, the case was finally turned over from the Oklahoma City Police Department investigators to the district attorney, and that he's now in reviewing of everything to see if there's uh, charges to be made or not. Um. So I, I get the sense that if the roles were reversed,
0: mm-hmm.
4: things would be far different. Right. So I just want the justice uh, that I'm do if the roles were reversed. If I was the
0: the the, the detainer instead of the detainee. And basically, I'll say it, if you were white and he were black. Yeah. <laughs> You've already stated how how calm and cool and collective you were during this time. So what advice could you give someone who may find themselves in the same or a similar position? What advice would you give to them?
4: Um to be accountable and responsible. Uh, And meaning there are people who I'm responsible for and there are people who I am accountable for. Um, As far as my immediate family, my wife, my two children. Um, So I had to think in the realm of doing everything I need to do to make sure that I get back home safely to them. Um, so that means, you know, I literally had to sit there and think my way through this, think about what my actions would, would be, or what my, what would be the reaction to if I did certain things like biggest one, if I had gotten out the truck, what would have changed? You know, you know, had he had a gun, had he not had a gun? You know, my biggest fear is that I could have either went to prison or went somewhere in a pine box to which I now I I made a promise to my wife um, many years ago that I would always come home at night and I've kept that promise. And so that became um, one of the one of the many things that started to flood my head as I was going through all of the probabilities. So just. Do whatever you have to in order to keep your calm to keep a level head or as level of a head as about you as you can, so that you so that i that I wouldn't make you know that that one because it only could have taken one wrong step or one wrong reaction by me, things could have went way south
0: right right.
4: You know, not only put myself in danger, but I had a coworker with me too, so I possibly could have put him in danger. So, you know, that's the thing that I've really taken away from it myself. To remain calm and think my way through, Um, because one wrong choice, one wrong step, one wrong anything, and I would have been a hashtag in between Ahmad and George. And, that's a scary thing that was a very scary thing to think about,
0: yeah, that is scary and i and I know we've all all of us of color have had some type of racial discrimination, but maybe not to this extent, and those words do hold true, you know we can't get anger we angry. Well, we can be angry, but the way we react is very important so that we can, like you said, we can live. And unfortunately yeah. today, it's just one racial incident after another. You would think that over the years time and things would have changed. Um, we've progressed some, but as far as the racial injustices, none. It, it's the same. I, I was reading where someone said, it's, this has always been, and the very thing that saved your life is a camera. We have cameras now. Mm. And so now, you know, people can see the blatant racism. And we've got to do something about it. I really appreciate you taking the time out to talk with me. And I I pray the best for you and that the Lord will continue to bless you and keep you safe. And you just hang in there.
4: Thank you. Thank you so very
0: much. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to Just Schooling It. It's library and resource time. I have several library picks for adults and young children dealing with racism, cultural awareness, and social injustices that would be beneficial to read. The first book, White Fragility, Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism by sociologist Robin D'Angelo. The next book, Let the Children March by Monica Clark Robinson. And finally, Ghost Boys by Jewel Parker Rhodes. I also have a few movie and documentary suggestions. The movie Just Mercy The documentary, Emmanuel: The Story of the Charleston Church Shooting. The documentary featuring American novelist James Baldwin called I Am Not Your Negro. Well, that's our cue. School is out. Be sure to tune in to part two of the episode, The Racial Pandemic, where we'll focus our discussion on having the racism talk with our children and police brutality. Always remember, you're never too young or old to learn, and
2: it's cool to be schooled.